welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the, the, the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you, Sophie. Well, it is good to see you on this long weekend and uh, enjoy your company for a few moments. I want to repeat something that I said last week uh, around preachers and preaching, because no matter who the preacher is, how qualified they are, uh, no matter how long they've been walking with Jesus, we should always examine their words, their teachings, their attitudes through the lens of the scriptures. Preachers are very human. In fact, someone with a preaching gift is often more open to temptation and issues than most people realise. A public ministry is a difficult ministry to keep in balance. And I know as a preacher I don't often, there are times that I don't get it right So we must test and check and evaluate preachers against the standard and the standard is the scriptures that we have that are inspired and infallible. So I encourage you to do for me as you would do for the other preachers that uh, you will hear over the rest of your life. I asked you last week to pray a dangerous prayer which was God, will you speak to me as you read Luke's gospel? And to write down the things that jumped out to you as you read over the week. And so I want to be the forefront in leading any spiritual change um, that we have amongst us and that God is doing through and in us. And so I want to share with you the few things that I feel that God said to me this week. And um, no particular order apart from the the days that they came in, and these are the themes that I wrote down. So the impressions that I had were that I should be praying for people by name, that I should know the brightness of God's glory, that Jesus' obedience is a pattern of obedience for me, 
that I need to have a soft heart before God, that I need to rest in what God is doing and that I need to continue to find spiritual meat, not spiritual milk. You know, I I sit in my office most mornings very early um, at home. I do it because mornings work for me. They might not always work for everybody. I understand that. But I sit there asking God to speak because I want to be ready when God does speak. That's my habit, and I put myself in that place. So if you, if you didn't hear me speak about this last week, I, I'd encourage you then to consider doing it this week, that you would find a few minutes, open Luke's gospel, and say, Lord, speak to me, and then write down the impressions that you get as God speaks to you. If you did it last week, why don't you do it again this week? Who knows? God might speak something to you that will change your life, the life of your family, and the life of those around you. Thank you to all those who contacted me during the week after last week's sermon. I I must say it did evoke a response, uh, funny enough. And uh, thank you to those who encouraged me and uh, who took time to connect with me. I had more comments last week than I've ever had, I think, in my ministry um, surprising on the topic that I spoke on. Um, I want to I want to say a special shout out to those who are in Streaky Bay who uh, wrote to me. Don't imagine that our little church is reaching people in Streaky Bay. How good is that? Is, isn't that wonderful? Do, do you want to welcome Streaky Bay? Let's, let's... So um, the church, the church in Streaky Bay has been struggling uh, to hold it together and to put on a service, and they've taken our service as their service. So, so we've got Streaky Seeds, or is it Seeds, <laughs> Seeds Streaky, or we're streaking in Seeds, or what if, whatever we're doing. So, you see, I just should stick to my notes, shouldn't I, really? Uh, it's just much better, isn't it? So, but anyway, I want to say it is great to hear from Janet and Virginia who wrote to me. So God bless you. Keep following Jesus and keep shining his light brightly in Streaky Bay. Let's, let's pray for Streaky, shall we? And let's pray for Corolla Park. So Lord, we, we ask your blessing uh, upon those in Streaky Bay. And uh, Lord, we love it. We love the reach that you have. The, the good news of the gospel can go so far into to the other parts of this state. And we pray your blessing upon that church that meets there in the home. Uh, they would be vital and alive for you and that their ministry would not be inhibited by their numbers, but only by the goodness of your grace. And may expand their influence uh, and their love for you and those that serve you in Streaky Bay. We ask particularly too this morning, uh, at this moment for Corolla Park, And as they would soon be finishing their meeting, we ask, Lord Jesus, for a constant and continued filling of your spirit upon that church. Grow them in numbers as well as faith, as well as their favour in the community. May lots of people be drawn to know you because of what's going on in Corolla Park. And at this moment, Jesus, we ask your blessing upon uh, your word as we hear it preached to us. May it be your words. May we hear your voice speaking through all things and all God's people said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be, I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. And uh, so I encourage you to open up all your phones. Uh, and uh, it is the next time, 
really in Luke's gospel after uh, Luke chapter 4 that Jesus mentions his life's calling and his purpose. And this time he states, it was for him to die. And so Luke 9 and beginning at verse 18. Last week we, we were asked the question from the text, who is Jesus? And, and I said to you, and I, and I stand by that, that this is the most important question that you will ever be asked and the most important question you will ever answer. Who is Jesus? Now this week the disciples are asked the same question and on their behalf, as you heard, Peter ultimately answers. And then Jesus responds with some information that is, that is very helpful for us to know and very difficult for us to grapple with. Its ramifications are seismic and significant. The text tells us that Jesus was praying with his disciples. Now, we don't know uh, whether he had just fed the 5,000 or if there was some time in between. But whatever the case is, he, in, in the text, he has just fed the 5,000. And I'm thinking that Jesus is keen to take his disciples on the next step towards their discipleship development. So he opens up the crucial conversation from the, and, the, and the topic is something that humanity has to deal with and grapple with from that time onwards. Something that we all modern day disciples need to come to terms with. And now notice that Jesus starts the conversation very broad. And then he brings it down very specific and, and he often does it very clever with, with how he does that. And so in verse 17, verse 18, he asks the question, who do the crowds say that I am? And we can see that in verse 19, we get the reply. Verse 19, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets long ago has come back to life. Which if we stand back and we, we examine that, that uh, response from the disciples, we don't know which disciple about it. It must have been a general agreement there. Um, it is an, is an interesting reflection on what people perceived Jesus to be. Now, to be fair, I, I imagine Israel trying to find a framework in which they can understand what has just taken place well, what is taking place with this Jesus character who's walking around doing this whole pile of different things? About Since Jesus preached that sermon in chapter 4 about who he was and what his claims of divinity are, he, he has given some astonishing teachings. He's, he's spoken in parables, that, the likes of which people have never heard before. Uh, he's healed people. Now, the healing is, is, is vast and varied. He's healed people from, from demons. He's healed people of leprosy. He's healed a man who was paralysed. He brought back the dead to life. He's called disciples out of their, their vocation. He's called them to follow him. And he's fed over 5,000 peoples. And yet the crowd, the, the Jewish nation, did not get that the kingdom of God has broken amongst them. Amongst them. And then they didn't understand either the person who had brought that into being was the Messiah. So I wonder at Jesus' facial expressions and whether he sighed or what his feelings were at that point when he got the response from the disciples. And so then he doubles down on it and he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? General becomes specific as his nature is. 
Verse 20, what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaking for all the disciples. And you can imagine, if you know anything about the character of Peter, it was probably really fast, really quick. You are God's Messiah. Spit it out real fast. Do you notice that Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't then go, that is, that is the answer that I've been looking for. You beauty, let's go and celebrate. Let's all go down to the hub tavern and we'll have a schnitzel and we'll celebrate. He didn't, did he? Do you see what happens next? Because he didn't say that's the correct answer. He didn't congratulate them. He didn't say you've arrived. He didn't say it's fantastic. He didn't say here is a certificate of participation that I have done earlier for you. Notice what he does says. Verse 21. Wow, it's solid. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anybody. Anyone. Let me quote it right. Verse 22. And he said, the son of man, that's a code word, an Old Testament word, for a self-description of who Jesus is. The Son of Man, you go to Daniel, have a look at it. The Son of Man must, be, must suffer many things and be, direct, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. They get the answer right and he gives them this whole teaching about his life. In other words, now that you know who I am, now that you discovered what my identity is, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be rebuffed by those who should understand and this will ultimately lead to my death. And by the way, I'm going to come back to life. The great irony here is that this group of uneducated fishermen, blue-collar workers, largely get what the religious elite who are schooled in this and who have been studied in this in all their life don't understand. The uneducated understand more than the learned. Those that shouldn't don't and those that don't do. The reason he said do not share this information around is because the Jews had this long-standing notion of what the Messiah was going to do, which is contrary to what Jesus was actually going to fulfil. And we'll cover that in the months as we lead further and deeper as I teach more into the book of Luke. Now, I'm not sure what happens in the minds or in the faces of the disciples at this point when Jesus says he is going to be rejected, uh, despised and killed and then resurrected. But we do know with clarity what this confession of lordship means. How do we know that? Because Jesus explains it clearly. Now that you know, Jesus says, who I am, this is what it means for me and this is what it means for you. And for us, this has significant implications because when we answer the question, who is Jesus, when we answer that with he is Lord, he is God, he is sovereign over all things, then his answer in this passage is directly applicable to us. as implications for how we live our life and what we do tomorrow. Jesus' next words to the disciples are to the disciples of all times, all nations, all era. It is a universal declaration and it has epic implications. So this week, 
Part B, following on, we now discover what it means when we say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, Jesus is in charge. We discover what it means to be a disciple. And helpfully for us, Jesus gives us a definition. Look with me at verse 23. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Three things. Some of the most substantial words Jesus has ever uttered. Some of the most difficult and far-reaching words. The implications for us are seismic and apply every moment of our waking lives. So here in verse 23 outlines these three things. Deny themselves. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Let me take these three separately and explain them. Because firstly, he says, a disciple is someone who denies themselves. Now, you don't need me to tell you that this is the utmost thing from our minds and absolutely countercultural to everything our society says you should do for yourself. It is, it is the, the bipolar opposite of all that we stand for as a culture. Because our maths are pretty simple. Denying equals unhappy. Unhappy equals it must not be right. That's the equation we're working with as a society. Our rule as a society is, it, is, is that is if it is not making us happy, then there is something wrong and we need to change it. But Jesus says, don't be fooled because denying yourself means life. It means you take my way, not your way. It means you surrender your flawed agendas to make way for his perfect will in your life. So what does denying yourself mean and look like? It means this. It means that the kingdom tasks that Jesus started becomes ours now. Remember last week we read Luke chapter 4. And it said that the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. If it was important to Jesus, it is important to us. And the rubber hits the road because it means that we all surrender all our agendas of all our life and we ask Jesus to use us in the fulfilment of his mandate to this earth. His God-given task now carries on through the church. I, I, I don't know how you feel about that. This denying yourself. Now, if, if I can be honest with you, do you mind if I be honest with you? Is that all right? I'll be honest with you because, because I struggle with that. Denying yourself. And if I can be honest back to you, I'd say looking at you, you struggle with it as well. 
I, I always come back to the Mark Twain quote, and I've said it a few times, and I'll probably say it a few more times yet. It's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that worry me. It's the things I do. Now, at this very moment, what is God challenging you to deny? You see, that's, that's why last week I said it's a very dangerous prayer to say, open the Bible and say, God, speak to me, because God has a habit of taking you at face value. And he will speak into your life and he will say, there's some stuff here I need to talk to you about, you need to deal with. Now, just, just to be really clear, I don't think God wants us to live a hermit life. No money, one set of clothes, no home, no deodorant, well, especially the no deodorant thing, okay? Not at all. But I do think that ba- the balance is way the other way on our end of the denio scale, if there was ever a denio scale that we could have. What's God challenging you to deny? For some of us, it's our time. You see, some of us use too much time on ourselves. And we indulge ourselves with our free time and and God wants to use your time. For some of us, it's our brain power. And we use too much on our agendas and our own plans. And God wants us to put our brains to use for his kingdom and the things that matter to him. For some of us, probably most of us, I'd say this is a pretty well Western issue that we've got going on. It's our money. And we use way too much on ourselves. And to be honest, we can cut right down on that and give more away and support what God is doing in the world. You know, God has, to be honest, God has given us resources and most of us have really good jobs in order to bless others, not just indulge ourselves. Some of us, it's our vocation. For some here, we need to actually work for God, not just volunteer. We need to shoulder an extra responsibility in service of God and his church. God is asking some of us to stop our present work and to pick up a vocation in the church. For some of us, we need to deny ourselves a Sunday morning sleep in and join a team and serve. Some of us need to open up our homes, deny our little enclave and have a lot more hospitality and invite others to share our life. Some of us need to deny our pride and to start to share our faith. Some of us need to deny embarrassment and shyness and speak up about the things of Jesus. You know far more about our life your life than I do. And I'm sure that the Spirit is speaking to you about this. The question is, are you listening? You know, usually in life we treat ourselves as the most important thing and Jesus is asking us to reorder that and treat him and his ways and his calling on our life and his agenda as the most important thing. 
See, it's not out there. It's not, it's, not, it's not for someone else to do. It's in here. It's us. It's you. It's me. Remember this is who a disciple is. And remember who we are as this church, as Seeds Church, one church, multiple location. Remember what our stated mission is, bringing people to Jesus, being transformed into his passionate disciples. We didn't write ambivalent disciples on the board. Passive disciples. I don't really care much disciples. We wrote passionate disciples. Secondly, then Jesus says, take up your cross. I don't think he was talking about a silver cross around your neck as a fashion icon or as a faith statement. He was meaning the real deal. And in a few weeks' time, if you're here over Easter, we'll celebrate that as well. You know, I'm reliably informed that when Jesus was roughly about 11 years old, a a revolution started nearby. And a revolutionary called Judas from Galilee led an uprising against the, 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 the impingement that Rome had on the nation of Israel. And he decided to throw it off. And it if you know anything about the history of, of Israel, particularly between the times of the Old Testament and New Testament, there was multiple uprisings as people tried to throw off the shackles against Rome. Some of the battles took place close, as close as eight kilometres from Nazareth. Everybody would have known about it. You would have heard about it. You would have seen the outcomes of that. You, you would have known what was going on. One of the battles was in the armory, which was eight k's away from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. The, the Roman retribution, as you can well imagine, was swift, sudden, incredibly violent. They did not tolerate rebellion in the empire. The town where the rebellion started was burned to the ground, completely raised off the face of the earth. All its inhabitants, apart from a few, were sold off into slavery. And those few that weren't sold off into slavery... Uh, about 2,000, 2,000 military-aged men on the road leading out of town were crucified. Jesus would have seen this as he was growing up. So when Jesus said to his disciples, take up your cross, they didn't think of a gold pendant they thought of 2,000 men lining the street on the way out of town. See, it makes sense, doesn't it? it? Evocative and hauntingly severe to understand. It was not a burden. It wasn't a difficulty. It was a death. Death to me Life to Jesus. It meant choosing the way of Jesus over me. It also means enduring the worst that can be thrown at us and not denying the name of Jesus at any cost. It means loyalty to Jesus, disregarding everything. This is discipleship. It denotes that it's not an add-on to our life. It is our life. That's what we read about and, and you'll read this, you know, we read the Gospels. Some people come into Jesus listening, that they, they love him, then he teaches and they hate him. They can't stand it and they walk away because it's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too costly. It takes too much. 
Now here's the here's the here's the the, the side of this too that that I, that I need to say because Jesus is gracious, and he, and he leads us into this gently, guiding us, shepherding us, but always. Always with that ultimate goal that we might grow in our discipleship in being a holy nation and a chosen people. It's got a purpose for our life. And, and what happens is our purpose and his purpose clash and he's saying, what are you going to do? Who's going to win out on these? You see, this is the thing. It's a continuing process, an ongoing progression. We are to die to ourselves all the time as we grow to understand more about Jesus today than what we did yesterday. Then lastly, he says, follow me. Do you notice that the end of verse 23 includes that one very significant word, daily. Daily follow me, daily take up your cross, says Jesus. One of the challenges we have is that if we rely on the church to provide our discipleship, and say say you are an every week attender, you're very faithful in turning up every week. Then in the week, you get a little over one hour of input. But say you're better than that. Say you attend a small group every week. Then every week, you get a little over three hours of discipleship input in your life. I'm not really very good at maths, but I know that leaves another 165 other hours of your week. You know, Jesus was so clever. He knew how distracted we would get. And he, with one word, addresses that issue. And he says, daily. In other words, following Jesus in that self-denying, cross-embracing way all the time, every day. That would be my summation of what he says. So let me ask you, are you following Jesus every day? putting to death yourself, your agenda, killing your ego, your self-gratification needs so that Jesus might be the first in your life. But not just first, that Jesus might use you for the goodness of this world and to bless this world that desperately needs hope. You know, I think most of us are a bit like Peter. And we'll see... We'll see Peter's struggling with, with who Jesus is as we go through Luke and, and we see him wrestling with, with, with what it means because we like Peter, we know who Jesus is, we like who Jesus is, we just don't like what it means for us. Until one of these days we're going to have to come face to face to the cross and see it fully. You see, Jesus was on his way to a cross, not a throne. That's, what the, that's, what, that's why I said, don't tell anybody because they wanted him on a throne and he's like, I've got to go to the cross. Jesus wasn't preaching gospel of wealth or health or cheap grace. There's no crossless discipleship, no relaxed lordship. This is the road less travelled. But the truth remains in losing yourself, in letting go of our agendas and embracing Jesus' way, we find the real, true, fullness, meaning of life. We find the salvation of our souls and the redemption of our day-to-day existence. Let me tell you this story and then I'll finish. A wealthy man and his son had a beautiful relationship. They loved to collect rare and inspirational works of art. And they had, they had a substantial collection, world-renowned collection. And they'd often sit together and they'd, they'd muse 
share the stories and their reflections over the great works of art. They had a beautiful relationship together and, and they share this common bond of art. Unfortunately, as it happens oh so frequently, war broke out and the sun was called up. And the sun was a courageous uh, and careful man, but he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. And his father was notified and as you can understand, he, he grieved deeply for the loss of his only son. About a year later, just around Christmas time, there was a knock at the door and a young man, slightly dishevelled, stood at the door with a large package under his arms and he said, Sir, you don't know me, but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. On that day, he saved many lives and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him and he died right next to me. Do you know, he often talked about you, says the stranger, Talk about you, your love for each other and your love of, of the art that you had. And so the young man held out the package. I, I know this isn't much but I'm, and I'm not really a great artist but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. And the father opens the package to find it was a portrait of his son painted by the young man who was standing in front of him. And he stared at awe at the way the, the soldier, this this young man had captured the personality of his son in the painting and the father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. He was overcome with gratitude to see his son again and to to experience that love again. And he thanked the young man and and, and seeing that, that he was... had seen better days, he, he offered to pay, he wanted, wanted a blessing, wanted to give him as a man of wealth and resources and he wanted to, wanted to give it to this, this young man to, to pay for the portrait, to help him in his life. He said, no, sir, I, I, could, I could never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift for you. So the father hung the portrait over his mantle and every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works that he had in his collection. Some years later, the man died. There was a great gathering of the art community because there was to be an auction of all the paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited to to see the the inspirational paintings have an opportunity to purchase one for their own collection. And of course on the platform at the front stood the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his gavel and he said, who will start the bidding, the portrait of the sun? Who will bid for this painting? And there was was deafening silence. You know that sort of silence in, in a room, deafening silence. From the back, we could hear murmurings, and then before long, it was, we, we, we don't want to bid for this one, shouts somebody. And somebody else said, Yeah, we want all the other. Where's all the other paintings? But the auctioneer persisted, being a, being a true auctioneer, he, he didn't listen to the crowd. Will someone bid for this painting? Who, who will start the bidding? He says, Is there a thousand dollars in the room for this painting? Silence. $500. Silence. So $200 for this painting. 
Another voice shouted angry, we didn't come to see this painting, we came to see the Van Goghs and the, and the Rembrandts. Well, get on there, let's get rid of this one. Get on with the real bids. But still the auctioneer con- continued, who will bid for this painting? Finally a voice, weakly from the back of the room. Everybody turned, looked, it was the, the long time gardener of the man and the son. He said, I'll bid $100. It was clear that he was a working class man, not fully endowed with great wealth. So the auctioneer said, I'll take the $100. It's on the market. So anybody bid me $200? Is there $150? Is there $150? And the crowd became angry. They didn't want that pain. They wanted more worthy investments for their collections. And the, the auctioneers continued, anything else, anything else? It's on the market, it's on the market, $100 sold. He bangs his gavel down on the table, sold to the man in the back. And great applause in the room. Yay, let's get on with the real auction. And the auctioneer put down his gavel. He said, I'm sorry to inform you the auction is now over. When I was called to conduct this auction, there was a stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal the stipulation until this exact moment. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought the painting of the sun would inherit the entire estate. The person who takes the sun gets everything. Let me pray. Jesus, we choose you. We choose you over everything. We hear your call to us and it frightens us and it threatens us and it pulls at our own ego and our own self-gratification, our own wants and our own desires. But we, we see we sense, we discern the reality that's behind that taking you gives us everything. And so we choose you as Lord over all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.